This is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. Regular people on a quest to discover the treasures in God's Word. My name is Matt, and with me today I have Karen. Hey. And we have Tracy. Good morning. And Eric will not be with us today. He's off Ericking. Boo. Boo, Eric. <laughs> Before we get started, I was just I was going through the edits or editing uh, past episodes here, and I was reminded that um, we had some goals for the year, and I was reminded that Tracy uh, said he had a huge st- stack of books. Yes. So I was just wondering, is anybody reading anything good lately? I have not. <laughs> I am reading a book called The Body Keeps the Score, and it is about how physical and emotional trauma is stored in the body hmm. in an ongoing way and how they can treat it. It's actually really interesting. Interesting. So, and the way that they are, like, they're, they're studying, it's just, it's neuroscience, right? Mm-hmm. So they, they study the brain. They'll actually take people who have been through trauma and induce the trauma. Like, they will bring the trauma back up while they're in a scanner, mm-hmm. and they'll watch their brain while that's happening. It's like brain activity. Yeah. And then, and then from there, they're also assessing, like, how does that show up? Like, what physical problems are they having? And what emotional problems are they having? And what does that look like in their personal life? And stuff like that. It's really, really interesting. Hmm. Super good book. Wow. Uh, what, I, what I do in my score. practice, yeah. I usually give people that that have stress or anxiety. Yeah. I give them you know, like certain handouts and that tells them how the body reacts to mm-hmm. stressors and mm-hmm. situational huh. stressors and how it can manifest from rashes to yeah. rapid heartbeats. So, to, so in your so since you're in the medical field, mm-hmm. for you, if people come come in, it's going to show up in the physical realm. They're going to show up with physical symptoms and be like. I have physical symptoms. Yes. And I'm going into the mental realm. Mm-hmm. And so people are going to show up and be like, well, I have these mental things that I need mm-hmm. to sort out yep. when they actually are cross-referenced. Yep. And a lot so, of times they do mesh. Mm-hmm. So they can have a manifestation of both. Yeah. And cool. so so if if you and I are smart in our fields, we'll mm-hmm. con- you will continually yep. cross, cross-reference and, and say, we'll look for it here also and, and maybe get some help in this area. Yep. And that's what I like to tell them. I was like, you know, sometimes there's just a lot of different... Uh, moving parts mm-hmm. that have to work together. That's cool. It's anyway. interesting. I mean, I could tell you, yeah, stress shows up in my shoulders. That's as far as I can go. Yeah, but then long term, <laughs> yeah, right? Right, right. Yeah. It's so here's an interesting whole, statistic. Did you know that people who have contentious marriages have higher rates of cancer, disease in general, coughs, colds, and flus, and car wrecks? Huh. Hmm. Right? And of course, the question there is which came first, the chicken or the egg? Is mm-hmm. it a, is it, a, is it an, an intense, contentious person who gets into a contentious marriage and this would happen anyway, right? Like, yeah. are they tracking single people that are sort of contentious people the same way? No, because this is relationship study. Yeah. But isn't that interesting? Yeah. So I'm not sure how those overlap. Like, is it the person that chooses that marriage or is it the marriage that goes bad and you become that person mm. and it changes? But the simple fact is, over time, it is statistically shown that people in contentious marriages have this these other sets of fallout. Yeah. On uh, the opposite side, my wife tells me that if she's happy, I'm bound to live longer. <laughs> so she's collecting all the data as we speak. So <laughs> I'm sorry I brought that up. <laughs> well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so yes, so I have read. It. I am yeah, reading a good book. You have you? Uh, well, well, I, your goal wasn't to read books. What was no, your goal? but I, but well, my goal is to get my master's license, which I am working towards. But um, I'm actually reading a couple things right now, but <laughs> not nearly as studious as yours. I've got my, I've got, I got two books going right now. The first one is my guilty pleasure, of I'm finishing up the Dark Tower series by Stephen King. Yeah, you are. Okay, <laughs> which is terrifying, a, man. 
yeah, I, I don't like, I don't go for his horror stuff. And here I am, here I am doing a Bible podcast. And yeah, I was going to read Stephen King. But this, this one is like, imagine, imagine the Man with No Name series by Clint Eastwood, you know, Good, Bad, and the Ugly. Imagine that character as a long, way down the line, descendant of King Arthur. Oh. You get this weird post-apocalyptic <laughs> thing with magic and weird science and and cowboys who are uh, knights of the round table, essentially. So. Well, if we're going off the deep end, I can happily tell you about the romance novel I'm reading. Well, why not? No, let's <laughs> no, not. We can we just get We should get going. <laughs> I could also tell you about the, uh, the, uh, the Bible commentary I've been reading. It's The Rational Bible by Dennis Prager. Oh, okay. Oh, and interesting. I'm reading, I didn't know he put books out, too. Yeah, well, he's got some books, but he's... Uh, this one he's doing, he's going through the first five books of the Bible. As are we. And Yeah. And um, his first edition of this was Exodus. He started with Exodus first for some reason, and then he went to Genesis. So I'm reading Genesis because I'm going in the order that long that we're going. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting way to look at it. I don't always agree with the things he says in it, but it's an interesting way to see it because he's Jewish. Oh, I didn't know that and either. So, and so he's looking at it from a perspective of mostly a modern-day Jew, but um, his goal, it's the rational Bible. He wants to show that the Bible is rational, mm-hmm. that it, at the very least, is good for um, insight and wisdom. Yeah, sure. You know, And so it's, it's kind of cool from that. It is interesting seeing him look at it from a perspective of not believing in Jesus as God. I mean, I think he has a respect for Christian beliefs and such, but... Um, that's not his, obviously that's not his goal. It's less of a theological book and more of a philosophy. It sounds like kind of a philosophy thing, and so it's been interesting to read. And so yeah, so that's where I'm actually you know doing something good for my brain <laughs> instead of making it mush by Stephen King. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's get into things today. Uh, if you recall, uh, last week we were talking, and a um, uh, lot had just been pulled out of Sodom and Gomorrah. Yes. And his daughters did an unspeakable thing. He's so gross. And he really kind of was. But um, they got themselves pregnant by their dad. Ugh. And I don't even think we talked about this, but it's gonna might be interesting to talk about for the future, because the children that they got by their father... Yeah, I noticed ...became that. the... Moabites, the beginnings of and the, the Moabites Ammonites. and the Ammonites, and those names are going to come up more and more as we go uh, go through reading the history of. There's of a Israel lesson here, kids. A lot of battles. Yeah. So, um, so with that, now we start into Genesis chapter 20, and uh, we have Abraham <laughs> acting poorly again. And by the way, I have a Bible with a timeline in it that has chapter 20 as starting in about 1898 B.C. Okay. So it starts right off, and Abraham starts lying about his relationship with Sarah again. Well, I mean, he's kind of lying. He's kind of lying. Kind he of kind lying. of just married his sister, so yeah, we're yeah. back to being gross. <laughs> well, half-sister. I Man, I don't know. I that. What a different society. It's interesting because later on, God actually says, don't do that. Yeah. But he didn't at this point. But I think if we go back and we look at probably two or three episodes back that we were talking about this before when he went to Egypt. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, I'm going to give my wife some props here when she says that God will give you the same test over and over until you pass. And the consequences can be worse until you actually get the lesson that you're supposed to get. 
And if you look at it, kind of, he basically said the same thing to Pharaoh. Yeah. Yes. My sister. And I thought you were going to kill me, so that's why I said it. Yeah. Back in Genesis 12 is when they Mm -hmm. were in Egypt. Right, right. You know, I I was just looking last night trying to remember, do we know how old Sarah was at this point? Because we know here Abraham is about 99 years old. Well, she was 10 years younger than him. Okay, I couldn't find that. Where was that? Do we um, remember? No, it, it was yeah, it was earlier. We okay. talked about how he was seventy-five, and yeah, somehow somewhere it mentioned that she was ten years younger. So then she was the hot sixty-five-year-old yeah. that had to be right. had to, you know, lie in order to save her her poor husband's life in Egypt. Yeah, I yeah, I remember us talking about it. I just couldn't I couldn't find it, and I was trying to confirm it for myself. Anyway, so here we have Abraham, who's darn near a hundred years old, which puts her at 90. Yes. And mm-hmm. she's still so smoking hot that these kings want them want her in their harem. I don't know. He didn't say harem here, but to be... make her a wife. Yeah. I, I want to know what lotion she used because I feel like I already need it. <laughs> it was something all natural. Oh, I did, definitely. <laughs> Exfoliating. And something with goat's milk. Very, very little processing goes there. Mm. No chemicals. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, but this puts Abimelech in danger, and he doesn't even know it. Doesn't at, even know, poor guy. You know, it says, um, says, God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you are a dead man. Whoops, I went two, check, two pages. You are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. And Abimelech's like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Will you destroy <laughs> an innocent nation? <laughs> Yeah, and that was interesting too, because you know Abimelech is kind of echoing the things that uh, Abraham had been saying with Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. Are you going to destroy yeah. innocent people? Yeah, um, I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. Mm-hmm. So there doesn't seem to be a lot of surprise about this God. So yeah, I'm that guessing was interesting. Abimelech is clearly aware of Abraham's God. Um. I like the responses because his response was almost identical to Pharaoh's. Uh, Pharaoh in twelve seventeen or eighteen, what is this that you've done to me? You know, and he comes back and basically says the same exact thing. Yeah, why did you do this? Yeah. What have you done to us? Have mm-hmm. I wronged you that you brought such great guilt mm-hmm. upon me and my kingdom? But what I noticed too is that when he was talking to Pharaoh, it was only Abram that was talking to Pharaoh. He's the one that said, she's my sister. Mm-hmm. But if you look here, yes. she validates it. Yes. Yeah. So she's part of the, the cover-up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, okay, so not only was it one person, you know, a few or 20-some years ago, now it's both of them in cahoots to deceive somebody. Mm-hmm. And, the, you know, it was something interesting about the way he said it, Abimelech, I mean. He says, Lord, well, at least in my in my. In my Bible, I said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Mine says innocent. Innocent, but the, the, the me, part that got me, the, same thing, the part that got me was the also, uh, which what, is. What are you reading there? In uh, Ch- verse. No, no, no. <laughs> which version? Oh, New King James, verse 4. Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? So I'm wondering here, well, it seems like maybe the whole story of Sodom and Gomorrah was pretty well known. I can only imagine it had to be. I mean, the the area isn't huge. It didn't take a whole lot of time to get from one place to another, even on foot. I mean, a few days maybe, but... Oh, I, I guess my first thought is that he was referring to his nation along with him. Could like, be. I'm innocent. I did this with a clean conscience. Are you going to slay me and my okay. nation? 
That, you know what I mean? That makes sense too. Since he's a king. Mm-hmm. So that yeah, that could be. But if it was, if he did, and I, I just don't know how he couldn't didn't you know know about Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. You know it. It lends credence to me of how. You know, later on we see all these miracles happen. We're going to just see parting of the Red Sea or the Reed Sea or whatever. You know how that goes. But you know all the things that happen in Egypt, all these things that are happening here, and people are like, "Well, why would God have have the Israelites go out and wipe out entire cities? Why would He take out whole things?" Well, when you know what's you've seen these things yourself, and you continue to be a bad influence on the local, on the area. I think about Rahab. Because when the spies went to her, she goes, we know about you. You're the ones that are wandering out there in the desert. Yeah. Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. you know, people knew. Yeah. And if you think about it, I can't remember the exact number, but wasn't it in the millions that were, like, doing circles in the desert? Couple. It was a lot. Yeah. It was was a lot. So people Mm -hmm. knew. Which kind of goes to your point being that, you know, I think if, you know, fire came down out of the sky and it was a huge thing to wipe out an entire city back then... I'm sure they're going to see it. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I'm, they're going to see the smoke. And I'm curious that it would be divinely attributed. Because well. let's face it, anybody who saw the angels show up yeah. died. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... You know, maybe something even on that scale, it was just maybe a given. You know, something had to happen. It on... was not natural, therefore. Right. Mm-hmm. So did you guys notice verse 11? Oh, let's see. So when Abimelech says to Abraham, what is your, you, it says, he says, mm. you have done things to me that should never have been done. What was your reason for doing this? Yeah, yeah. And Abraham, oh dear, oh Abraham, there is surely no fear of God in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. <laughs> so is that, I mean, like, what is that? Is that like the modern day equivalent of... If they don't go to church, they're a bad person. Or if they don't go to if they don't go to my church and they don't believe like me, no surely, rules here. surely mm-hmm. God is not speaking to them, or they have no respect for what I would think. You know what I mean? Maybe maybe he knew something about the society that we're not getting here. You know, I mean, you probably know something about That's the areas. That's a giant around assumption. Really, but what a thing to say right to the face of the king! Yeah, you guys are awful, and I thought you were going to kill me. There's, there's, there's a, there are huge assumptions here, and in the meantime, God's talking to Abimelech in a dream, and Abimelech's like, "Oh, hey, God, yeah, no, I didn't, I didn't know." You know, I wonder if that's a cultural difference too, because Abraham was a nomad. Mm-hmm. Maybe he didn't have a lot of interaction with, you know, kings and, you know, cities and a lot of people that weren't like his family, or had some kind of close connection to him. Yeah, I admiring him for just speaking his mind. To yeah. me, that has a little more cojones but, behind it than, yeah. than yeah. She's, she's my, my sister. sister. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, well, I thought of you as a heathen who would probably <laughs> kill me, so I just yeah. lied and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but so once again, he pops out this half truth, and this is a—it's a big lesson. A half truth is a whole lie, you know. But it was and so convenient. Convenient. And it seemed like such a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. We can get all weirded out over this being his half sister. I mean, yes. it's a, it's a cult. Yes, we can. <laughs> it's a cultural thing. I I don't know. I don't know how Yeah, I just But like I said, later on God's like, "Nope, don't do that." But yet he created the entire Israelite nation off of these two. So that's interesting. Um, but 
So what know. what is okay? So with this way that Abimelech makes it right, he gives sheep, cattle, and slaves to Abraham, mm-hmm. and a thousand shekels of silver. Is this like a is this like a bride price? Like what is this? He's he's he addresses her directly and says, "I'm giving your brother, I'm giving yeah. your brother a thousand shekels of silver. This is to cover the offense against you before yeah. all who are with you. <laughs> you are completely vindicated." So there's some kind of a and I don't know Hammurabi's code or any of that mm. stuff from back in the day, yeah. but I know that there were financial penalties that you had to pay for certain types of wrong. Yeah. And I guess I'm curious if this was like a an equi- uh, some kind of an equivalent to that. Something like but that. isn't that reversed? Mm. Shouldn't it really be Abraham that said, you know, I, I from, lied, maybe I should be paying you? From my point of view, yes. Because, <laughs> I mean, like, for example, I, I, I j- this whole thing is backwards from my point of view because where we're Abimelech says... Um, please cut this out later. Oh, no, it's staying in. <laughs> Karen being awkward. Karen being awkward. She's searching the Bible for that one thing, and her eyes are going bad, so it's even harder to find. Mm-hmm. Um, where he says he has a guilty conscience. It's like, but how would he have a guilty... I mean, how would he have guilt? How would he have a guilty conscience when he didn't even know? I don't get it. I don't know. That's so backwards from... It's a a different way of looking at morality, I guess. I mean, once he knew, then he felt bad. Sure. So, I don't know. But, you know, Pharaoh did the same thing. Yeah. He gave Abraham a whole bunch... Abram a whole bunch of stuff Mm -hmm. after Mm -hmm. when he had gave back... um, to make right Sorry. Abram's yeah. Abram's mistake. So how nice of him. <laughs> you know, in my notes, I wrote down Abram profits from his lie, and then I put a question mark. Right, exactly. You know? Yeah, because he kind of comes he out did. ahead. He comes out ahead from this thing. You know, and I I, I kind of got the impression that a lot of his wealth, maybe not a lot, but a pretty good portion of his wealth anyway, came from Pharaoh when when this whole thing happened there, and Pharaoh gave him I don't remember how many. Sheep and goats and you know stuff. I, mean, you know, it's, it's I wonder if it was just a payoff. So you know what? Can you here? I'm going to give you all this stuff so you can hurry up and leave. Yeah. At this point, because if you look, there were some things that happened to Abim- Abimelech's um, wives in his. Yeah. That made me his, wonder how long harem he probably had isn't the Sarah. right word. Yeah. Like how long did he have Sarah? Long enough for people to realize they were sterile. Yeah. Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech, mm-hmm. his wife, and his female slaves. So they could have children again. For mm-hmm. the Lord had kept all the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving yep. because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. Like, how long was she there? I mean, he hadn't. it says right out there he hadn't touched her. Yeah. So... I don't know. We figured it'd have to be a good, you know, pregnancy cycle that nobody was pregnant. And maybe yeah. it was just a standard thing that there was, you know, always a couple female slaves or a wife that was pregnant. Somebody pregnant all the time. All the time. Yeah. I would guess that if a king was to take a new wife, I guess she was considered a wife, right, Sarah, that if a king was to take a new wife, there would be at least a month that passed before he would sleep with her because Mm. he would want to make sure she wasn't already breeding, Mm. right? So it's not like you can say, here, pee on this stick when you get up in the morning, and when the little blue cross or the little blue minus, then we'll know. They had rabbits. And we can (laughs) prove... But you know what I'm saying? Like, no king would want, if he's adding to his harem. Mm -hmm. She's almost 90. Hmm? She's almost 90. And good looking enough to take? So. And maybe at that age, he didn't think she was going to get pregnant. Well, okay, I'm just saying. For some reason, he hadn't. 
don't so know, he man. had a new wife and he hadn't. Yeah. yeah. It does say that he rebuked, that uh, Abimelech rebuked Sarah. In, Where? Um, verse 16. Yep. Um, oh, yeah. Because the way it's, you got to read this, you got to read this with the right emphasis on the proper <laughs> syllable. But um, uh, verse 16, then he said, then to Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Indeed, this vindicates you before all who are with you and before everybody. Thus she was rebuked. So uh, it's going like, look, even you, I'm calling you out on your lie too. And and uh, so she got her fair share of, I mean, she got stuff, mm-hmm. but he's kind of like, yeah, here you go. Thanks here, a lot. Here you go. Nothing. So you can leave. Mm-hmm. So it seems like, I don't know, kind of a little payoff. It's like if you're at a restaurant and somebody, you know, your food comes late and they comp your drinks or something, you know, kind of that sort of thing. Here's something for free to, for this thing that wasn't exactly my fault, you know, but, you know, anyway, just an interesting, so interesting that, you know, even after, you know, well, he's still at this point, Abraham still hadn't been given anything of the promise. Mm-mm. I mean, he didn't. He didn't own land. In fact, he never does own the land. You know, yeah, he's, he's promised it for. He's his promised it for his descendants. So he still doesn't have land of his own. He still doesn't have still a nomad. The the child of promise. You know, I mean, he had um, he had uh, Hagar's and uh, Ishmael. That's mm-hmm. the one. Uh huh. You know, but God's like, nope, that's not the one. So he still doesn't have. The pro- but he keeps getting this promise. But he keeps. Doing things like this, where he's like, oh, "I'm afraid I'm going to die." I don't know. It's just an interesting. Uh, we look at it in hindsight, and it's like, "Why didn't you just trust God?" You know, but yeah, Matt, why don't it, you just trust God? It would be yeah. interesting. Yeah, to... Karen, how come you don't just trust God? <laughs> It'd be interesting to see exactly how long he was there, because you know that's kind of a hard road for a husband too. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, I'm going to take her as a wife. She's out of your tent, and she's in the city with me, and he's just kind of on the outskirts sitting there twiddling his thumbs, for lack of a better term, trying to think what he's going to do. Well, you know what? I just thought of something, though. Mm. This was after he was promised that Sarah Sarah, would mm -hmm. be the one. Well, not only that, but that in the following year, she would have a son. And he's like, ooh, it's going to be a Bimelech's baby. Nine months, you know, unless this happened like right after Sodom and Gomorrah. Then to me, there's a pretty good chance she might have already been pregnant at this point. No, I don't. That's interesting. Yeah, because we don't have a, a timeline, but it does well, say. Wait a second. Hang, hang on. It does say within a year. But okay, so my timeline, and I realize that this is in solid years, and a solid year, it can be like just on either side of it. But mm-hmm. like in verse 5 of, ver- of chapter 21, where it says, and Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Mm-hmm. My little timeline in the center says that was in 1896 B.C. And what was the date you gave us at the, when we started here? Mm, 1898. But you see what I mean? Like mm. that, yeah. and that's an entire year. Yeah. So that could be a year-ish. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's it's that that is a curiosity. She, I I don't know. But yeah, twenty one, it jumps right in there, and mm-hmm. she's conceived, and she's gonna have a baby. You know, I don't know if that was a reunion or or yeah. what. I'm glad you're home. Glad you're back in my tent. I don't know, but yeah. So anyway, I don't know. That just throws a little 
little wrench in there because, um, you know, we we're talking about whether Abimelech would would have taken her for breeding stock or not. Um, as far as maybe and, why he hadn't, and maybe why he why he hadn't, or so yeah. if she if she was so old, okay, so at at this at the uh, the prelude to Sodom and Gomorrah where. God shows up and talks and says, you know, within the next year, you know, by this time next year, you will have a son. And she hears and laughs. She already thinks, like, she might have been good looking, but she already thinks that she was past the years of breeding. That's yeah. what I was kind of alluding to before, that Abimelech would have known that, too. Because, you know, I just think it's, it wasn't the norm. She was already pretty old. Clearly, they age differently, though, because if in, if if she if she's still good looking enough for for the king in in the new country to mm-hmm. take, ooh, look at her, and I want her for a wife, and come on, you know, and then you're how old? Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah. so apparently that like nowadays you can kind of look at the average woman and go, yeah, she's right around menopause. Maybe age didn't show. I mean, they did. They were still living quite a bit longer, but mm-hmm. well, yeah, because Abraham lived to be. 175. 175. Yeah. And so, I mean, they always talk about him being an old man at 100 years old. Yeah. I know. That seems like maybe 40, 50. Uh-huh. You know? I'm just, it's curious to me. So maybe they just... Otherwise, he was an old man for a really long time. I wouldn't want to be old that long. You know what? I think it was, just like you are saying, I think it was a little bit different because they were, they were walking around. They had an active lifestyle. They were, you know, they worked. They, there was no processed foods, that kind of thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So maybe they did. Maybe they were still very active, and you know, and apparently she was good looking at almost ninety. But 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 that was beyond the years of expected childbirth. Right. So yeah, whether it was apparently it wasn't visible, but yeah, apparently it was also a known fact because mm-hmm. that was her expectation, which is why she laughed when God right said she would have a baby. Right. So anyway, Sarah does have a son, mm-hmm. and they name him Isaac, which means laughter. Laughter. My my youngest son is named Isaac, and that was part of the reason we named him that, and it turns out to be good because he's a little practical joker. <laughs> um, so interesting how names, even, it seems like even today, sometimes the names we give people end up being very fitting. Like, you know, my name, Matt, Matthew, means gift from God, so, you know. Fitting. Really? Oh yeah. Go to your room. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Hey, I I didn't name me that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what. I think Karen's a derivative of Catherine, and I yeah. don't even know what that means. Just wait till you hear what Tracy means. What does Tracy mm-hmm. mean? Nothing. Oh, there is like no meaning whatsoever. Just random. Just random. Random. It means you can't be together. defined. Something apparently. What does Eric mean? Can we talk about him while he's not here? <laughs> anyway, okay, anyway. back to He'll the story. He'll say Eric yeah. the Great. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so they have a son. They name him Isaac, and uh, this is finally twenty-five years later after after God had promised Abram, now Abraham, that this would happen. Um, right. There's a work in patience. Oof. Mm-hmm. And Man, I'm impatient if six months go by, oh. and I can't even, quarter of a century later, and he finally gets his one kid. Yeah. So, you know, here earlier, I was kind of criticizing Abram for, <laughs> for not, you know, for not just trusting God, but 25, 25 years, I mean, that's, if, you know, if we're lucky, that's a good quarter of our life. Yeah. You know, for him, okay, let's call it an, let's call it an eighth, mm-hmm. you know, but, Ish, yeah. but, you know, still... 
that's that's a pretty long time to be holding out for a promise and expecting it that it's going to happen, and it doesn't, and it doesn't, and it doesn't. So when it finally does, uh, it's it's quite the deal. It makes me wonder why did God tell him so early that he was going to do that. I mean, 25 years, and you know he's been wandering around there in Canaan. You know, he he, he left his he left his family. He went. And wa- he's been wandering around Canaan for 25 years now. I think time is irrelevant. Why? I think for, for God, God, yeah, I time think is yeah. irrelevant. Yeah, you know, because you look at it's not for us. You know, look at King David. He got anointed, and it wasn't it wasn't the next day he was king. Right. You know, he had to wander. He had yeah. to run away from Saul, I think, it was like 13 years. How long did Moses spend uh, herding sheep mm-hmm. before yeah. he was ready to herd she- uh, people? You know, maybe it's just enough time, time to get the tools in your toolbox that, you know, you're going to need. Yeah, because he started accumulating as well, started accumulating, accumulating people. Uh, you know, he started becoming a presence in the area. So I guess he, yeah, needed the time to do it. Not and that it was ever his, but yeah. Yeah, but he. And was... I also think it's interesting that God took him out of his home country to do this. Mm-hmm. Like He didn't take him out of his home country to Canaan, and then Canaan was Abraham's. Right. Like He took him out of his home country. He went to Canaan. He, he lived in tents his whole life. Then his descendants went back to, <laughs> back mm-hmm. to Egypt as prisoners for a few centuries, and then they came back to Canaan and finally had Canaan. Yeah. I wonder if it's that stranger in a strange land where, you know, if you're outside of your comfort zone, then you tend to gravitate and lean more on God. Yeah. You know, because you're, you don't have that support system and yeah. other things to rely on. It's just you and God. Hmm. Yeah. I suppose so. You like yeah, God's timing, and uh, so and then poor Hagar here. Yeah, Hagar. So this is four years later. Mm-hmm. So so Isaac is four. Um, and what what did we decide a couple of weeks ago? Uh, what that, is he? Um, Ishmael's fourteen at this point. Yeah. Well, I thought Ishmael was thirteen when the baby was born. Mm, let me see. Where I did I, where did I, I come we... up? Seven. I have verse seventeen and nineteen written down, and I have somewhere that he figured out that he was 14. It might have just been based on how old Abraham was when Ishmael oh, yeah. was born. Yeah. So I came up with 14, somewhere in there. No, 13, I meant yeah, when, he, when Isaac was born. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was talking about when they were sent away. So, yeah. Oh, well, the first, well yeah, they were, they were sent away right after Isaac was born. Okay. Mm, so, anyway, he's in, that, he's in that age range, 13, 14. So, long enough to have established himself in the family, I guess, you know, and oh gosh, Sarah's just really awful to Hagar, man. It was her idea. I don't mm-hmm. like it that she's so terrible. I don't, I don't like the way Abimelech got treated. I don't like the way Hagar got treated. Like by by my standards today, with my modern thinking over here in a Western nation, like mm-hmm. this is awful. Yeah. So yeah, um, you know, another example of just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean it's good. You know, there's nowhere that God said, "Yeah, treat your, treat your servants." In fact, later He talks very specifically about treating servants better. Um, Get rid of that slave but, woman with her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son. Yeah, it's harsh. Yeah, you know, and you think, Oof. you know, she's saying basically, cast her out to what? Right. Yeah, she's a slave. And what does she get when with she leaves? With a child mm-hmm. in she the get, middle of nowhere. 
That's right. almost like a death sentence. Just mm-hmm. get rid of her. Yeah. Teenage boy, no less. It's not like he could give her, you know, belongings and cattle and everything else, you know, especially in that time being a woman, being a slave. Mm-hmm. That she's, you know, I'll she'd mail get you a child bit, support. It'll help. You know, she'll go a little bit down the road and probably be, you know, robbed or pillaged or something like that. So it's really just Cold. she wanted to get rid of her. Yeah. yeah. And in the worst kind of way. It's interesting the way God says, he says, uh, do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the latter, because of your bondwoman. Yeah, at least Abraham was upset. So I've Mm -hmm. got New International Version here. It says, the matter distressed Abraham greatly because Mm -hmm. it concerned his son. Yeah. And God said to him, do not be distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Yeah. And so, um, you know, you got to think of this. Ishmael was the firstborn. Mm -hmm. He should have been the heir to everything by by their customs. Mm -hmm. He, He should have been... You know, we later about blessings and whatnot, and who's supposed to get what. Um, I think we might be talking about that some next week when we get into um, Jacob and Esau. Esau, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but now he's just he's got nothing. He gets they get some water and bread, and here you go, off into the desert. Horrible. Um, and but. It's because Isaac is the one who was promised, and everything that's promised is going to be, or the you know the covenant, the promise is through, is through Isaac. So, this whole thing about like they wander, and they run out of food, and they run out of water, and she goes a bow shot away, which of course is a logical measurement. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and she and she starts crying and she says I just I can't watch I can't watch my boy die. Mm-hmm. And then and then there's this kind of interesting thing. God God hears her again same as he did last time. Mm-hmm. She was out when Sarah had mistreated her and she ran away. And it says in verse 19 it says, "Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water." Yeah. How had she not seen it before, right? Okay. So mm-hmm. had God closed her eyes so that he could provide yeah. Had she genuinely not seen it, you know what I mean? Like, how upset was she? Because there's this whole this thing with with Mary too. Remember when Jesus is resurrected mm-hmm. and she's crying and he's talking to her mm-hmm. and she doesn't even realize like she spent all this time with him and doesn't even recognize him. And then all of a sudden he says her name and all of a sudden she recognizes him. And then there's the road the road to Emmaus where Jesus is talking to these two guys. And he's talking about himself. He's showing them himself through the scriptures. And all of a sudden, he opens their eyes, and they see that it's him, right? Yeah. So it's like, like, what is that? Yeah, it's interesting. What, what is, that? Well, is that? Is that like a divine intervention thing? Is that our genuine blindness? Are we actually that obtuse? And if so, how can I quit? <laughs> well, I'll ask, I'll ask Tracy about this, because sometimes we have man sight, where you'll look in the fridge for something. I'm familiar mm-hmm. with it. <laughs> and... And you're like, I don't see it. I don't see it. Or I, I do it at work all the time. I'll look for a particular tool. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll open up the, sh- the drawer or whatever in, in the and truck. And we're assuming in this scenario that you're not the tool? <laughs> 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 
well. Uh, I probably am. Okay, sorry. <laughs> but you know, I will. I'll be Somebody looking. speaking some truth here. I don't. I don't know uh, what's going on. But you look in. You're looking for something specific, and you don't see it. And you look, and you look, and you look, and you mm-hmm. don't see it. And then you go ask somebody else, "Have you seen the thing?" Mm-hmm. It's right here. And like, it's right here. And you just go, "What?" I was just staring right I there. I was just staring right, and you don't see it. You know, so I, I can it, somehow. It's somehow like that, but you know, I, I think I don't know. too that you start just looking so far off in the future, and yeah. I think if it was just the Get impending paralyzed. doom, yeah. that you just lose all focus. <laughs> because too, I, I often wonder too when you said a bow shot, well, that's not very far. That's probably she could probably still see, you know, the camp back. I there. mean, by my shoulders, no. But and maybe she had bread some... and water, and the water was already gone. It was like, well, she goes a bow shot away from her son. From... Well, okay, so yeah. she could have been farther off then. Yeah. So here's an interesting story from Alaska. Okay, Mm -hmm. so a friend of mine bought a chunk of land, and she was cutting down the trees on the land, you know, skinning them, letting them season, and then building a house. So she had a chainsaw. Mm -hmm. Well, it was coming up on fall, and she hadn't got as much work done as she wanted to. And she's worried, so she's, she's a school teacher. She's hurrying out there every day after school to try and get some more trees cut down so they can season over the winter mm-hmm. so she can start building in the spring. This is important, it's starting to snow, this is a big deal. She goes out there one day and her chainsaw won't start. And she is literally doing this by herself. She is a single woman in Alaska doing her thing. Mm-hmm. And she, she gets to the point of tears. She cannot get her chainsaw to start. And she is so upset that she's crying. And finally, she just sits down in the snow and she says, Dear God, would you please start my chainsaw? And if this was in the Bible, there would be a text that said, and God opened her eyes. But what actually happened was he said very clearly in her ear, have you checked the on-off switch? No. Yeah. The answer to that question was no. Mm-hmm. And it turned out it started just fine when she checked the on-off switch. But you see what I'm getting yeah. at? Yep. Like, yep. Yep. What, is it, what do they call that? I can't see the forest for the trees. Mm-hmm. So this whole, like, and God opened her eyes, and there was a well of water. Yeah. yeah. Ta-da. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now this this well had some significance because we the second half of chapter twenty one is actually telling us the story of why this well has significance because this well was named uh, before this happened because it says it says here okay the beginning part of twenty one in verse fourteen says they were wandering in the wilderness of Beersheba mm-hmm. well when you get to twenty two through thirty four um, this is where we learn why this well was, why this area was named Beersheba. Yes. And so it's kind of, it took me a second to figure it out, but it was one of those situations where storytelling in the Bible is not strictly chronological. It's kind of like, oh yeah, that reminds me, you know. And And this is why this thing I just told you was important. Yeah. And so, um, so what happened was that, uh, looks like Abimelech had, had recognized that Abraham had God on his side. And... We have to remember that this land does not belong to Abraham, but he's wandering through it and living in it, and uh, Abraham and Abimelech have a dispute over a well that was found. Uh, I don't know who dug it. Does it say who dug it? Well, well Abraham is saying... Oh Abimelech, Adim, oh, Abimelech's servants had seized it. We don't know who dug the well. No, Abraham says... Okay, so, um, okay, so Abraham sets apart seven ewe lambs from the flock. And Abimelech says, or I'm in verse 28, 29, mm-hmm. and Abimelech says, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? Mm-hmm. And Abraham replied, accept these seven ewe lambs from my hand as a witness that I dug this well. 
Ah, there we go. Okay, so now, bafflingly, Beersheba can mean the well of seven mm -hmm. or the well of the oath. Yep. Those don't seem interchangeable to me, but there you go. That's well, what you can get out of that word. Here's where I went. I, I, love, I love finding out where words come from. Yeah. And, you know, foreign words, English words, whatever. And so I had to look it up. I got out the old concordance, and it, it's, a, it's a splitting apart of two words. Mm -hmm. You got bayar, which is well, very simple, and uh, sheba, which means to be complete. Or oh, the one that said is a complete number. the one thing it mm -hmm. said one one meaning of it could be to seven oneself using seven as a adverb. complete yeah yeah essentially seven is and this number seven comes up a lot in scripture so sure. it's kind of important to look at this here that, makes sense. that understanding that this was a this was a saying this is a complete oath I'm giving you these seven sheep to show you just how much just how complete this oath is. I didn't almost dig this well. Yeah. I really, really dug this well. Yeah. And uh, so um, that idea of completeness, that seven, the first one that comes into my head is later on, Peter, how often should I forgive a man? Seven, seven times. Yeah. So in Peter's mind, he's, he's saying, if I've forgiven somebody seven times, I have completely forgiven them as much as I possibly can. And that's when Jesus is like, no. You well, and that's more, interesting, because you, if you take that all, that idea all the way back to creation, we come up with a seven-day week, mm -hmm. which has no basis in nature. Nope. Like everything else, the sun goes up, the sun goes down, the moon comes up, the moon goes down. All right, now we have a, a day, right? Yeah. And then there's the month, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's a year. Yeah. So there's all these sort of increments of time in nature, but the seven-day week is a created thing. Yep. Sorry, atheists. Yeah. It's a created thing. Because there's there's no, there's nothing there's, there's no routine in nature and if you and okay so this is interesting and then you go all the way out to Revelation and you've got the seven seals and the seven mm -hmm. trumpets and the seven everything yeah so it's yeah it is an interesting number to pick a seven I mean if I was gonna pick something complete I would pick like ten because I can at least count that high on my fingers you know I ran out of fingers I, I ran have out of fingers that's now. that's all that's all there is but to do things in increments of sevens that's odd although I did it is actually recently. If it was a six or an eight, it would be even. Yeah. But I did recently hear of a number system that was based on sixes. What? I can't remember who it was. Hmm. It's probably common core math. No. <laughs> yeah, that's probably where the... No, but I, I don't remember where it was. But, you know, we have our, you know, our basic the decimal, you know, the tens. You know, this, makes, this, this makes sense, but though. Sevens. Like When I read this definition, so this is a little annotation down at the bottom of my Apple, it says we're the well of seven or the well of the oath. That, mm -hmm. makes, that actually, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, yeah. Makes sense. But So, yeah, it's all about completeness. And, uh, yeah, interesting interesting number to pick because it's, it's not easy to count by, and there's, there's, it, there's just really no reason for it other than because God decided seven was going to be complete. Um, so anyway, that was interesting. That's why that that gave that that gave that story before it a little significance because this was a well that, well, even you know this was a well that was known or at least, well, I guess Abram Abraham knew about it. Maybe maybe Hagar wasn't so familiar with it, but it gives it gives a little it gives that backstory as to why this place where she was with Ishmael why that was an interesting and important place. So, okay, so um, that's the last we hear of... That's the last we hear of Hagar and, and Ishmael, other than <laughs> knowing now that Ishmael is the beginning of the, uh, the Arab nation. A great nation. 
A great nation. I don't think we know specifically, but... At this point, we don't know specifically yeah. from the Bible. We just know from history. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how long much past this is, but chapter 2 starts with... It's a... 22? It's 22. Yeah, that's what I meant. Um, 22. Abraham gets a huge test laid out in front of him to sacrifice his son as a burnt offering. It says God tested Abraham, and this is one of those odd phrases in the Bible where it's like, why would, if God is God, why would God need to know if Abraham could or would do something? Because it seems like he would know if Abraham would do something. You know, and he's already gone through the test. He waited 25 years. Yeah. You know, like we had talked about before, he's he's journeyed, he's made mistakes, he's dealt with pharaohs, he's dealt with kings, um, he's had two wives, he's had quarreling within his house. You know, he's he's been on the journey. But yet, when I look at this, I look at, you know, the tests are still there. You know, you've made it to the 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 promised land so you know and have your son that you've been promised but there's he was still 24 now by the way and there's still more test it's it's not over it's it's now it's god so we're now that you have this son and it's everything and more that you've hoped for now where do i fall in the pecking order mm-hmm. so when it says when it says god tested abraham i guess my point here is that Clearly, God knows how Abraham is going to do things, but Abraham maybe doesn't know how Abraham is going to do things, and the people around Abraham may not know how Abraham is going to do things. It's reminding me a lot of Job. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And um, I'm curious ahead. how much Abraham knew about the sacrificial system slash coming Messiah, mm-hmm. because there, because if you think of this from the point of view of a father giving up his only begotten son as a sacrifice there's undoubtable parallels then 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 it seems a little bit different mm-hmm. um, so it's it becomes Abraham being tested within the scheme of the sacrificial system which he understands I'm assuming he understands it I mean I'm is it his only son though he had another son this is his son of promise well yeah yeah, and the I can other see where son you're going is there, but but God does say your only son. Yeah, that's the yeah. words He uses, and and He's told him flat out for years now. So if so, my Bible, my little timeline here says that that this would have put Isaac at 24, and he, so he's like a strapping young dude, like he's coming into manhood. Well, I guess we're kind of guessing that because of his mother's weird aging, yeah. but I'm assuming that he's coming into manhood here. And so at this point, Ishmael's been gone a long time, mm-hmm. and according to God's promise and according to reality now, this is his only son. Yeah. So he is the son of promise, he is his only son, and he is being told to sacrifice him. Yeah. You know, I was wondering also, have we, I don't remember encountering in the Bible anyway at this point, anywhere where human sacrifice had been forbidden. I mean, we don't have any other times of anybody trying. It's, it's always been like trying. It's always been like the perfect lamb as a symbol of right. Mm-hmm. So, if assuming that Abraham understands the sacrificial the sacrificial system and what it's pointing towards, this is the ultimate sacrifice. But there's this gesture of faith 
that Abraham makes. Um, let's see. God told him, let's see. So they, they set out, and when they came to the place that God had told him about, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance and said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while the boy and I go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hadn't noticed that, the, so, the we part. There. Yeah, so he, whatever he, it doesn't say what he's thinking, but whatever is in his head, he is that sure that mm-hmm. it's going to be okay. Yeah. Even though he hmm. binds Isaac, so he at a hundred and so if he was a hundred years old when Isaac was born, so now he's 124, he he binds his apparently willing son, puts and I think him that's up key. there. Willing. And, well, I mean that I'm saying he couldn't have forced yeah. him, you know. Yeah, exactly. And, and raises the knife like he's ready to do this thing. So whatever he's thinking, he trusts that God's got control of it. This is still his son of promise. This will continue to be his son of promise. And he's sure enough to say to the servants, we're going to go worship, and we'll be back. We'll be back. And he does say, well, he tells Isaac, God will provide for himself the lamb. Mm-hmm. So maybe at this point, Abraham is finally coming into that trust where it, now, if they were coming into some place, he wouldn't tell Sarah, tell him, that you're my sister, you know, if it was the same, maybe, maybe he's finally gotten the point where, okay, I see that God is going to keep his promises. I know that Isaac is supposed to be my, my, the beginning of my, uh, empire, if you will. <laughs> I don't know. Just the first word that came to mind. Um, and so the, the, the idea that God wouldn't require Isaac to die at this point maybe seemed very, very clear. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and maybe that's what does make him a hero of faith, because if you look at it, when we were going through Job, Job had questions. Mm-hmm. He had the why. Mm-hmm. And if you look here, there is no there's no feedback back there to question that at all. Yeah. Yeah. It's... And, you know, just what Karen brought up, to me, it's like, yeah, we're going to go up there, we're going to come back. Yeah. You know, son, don't worry about it. God will provide it. Mm-hmm. You know, and so, and I, do you see anywhere here that it's any kind of wavering? Because I, nope. I don't see any wavering. No. I see it as, Lord, here I am. Abra- well, Abraham. Yeah, here I am. I don't anticipate that he was This is what you're going to do. Right? Okay. But we're, I mean, it's the Bible. We're not told everything. But right. for example, when, when Sarah tells him to send Hagar and Ishmael away, it says he that was he was displeased. upset. Yeah. And here it doesn't say anything like that. Doesn't mean it wasn't happening. Also, not, maybe not the point of the story. The point of the story is God said, leave his hometown. He left his hometown. Mm-hmm. God said, kill your only son. He said, okay, and packed up the stuff he needed Which and are big, started hiking. You know, big areas of faith at that point. But I think everything else was like we said, it was a journey yeah. to get to this point of having and building that trusting relationship with God. Because, you know, I look here and it just says, you know, take now your son and your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land. And you're going to, there is a burnt offering in the mountains, which I shall tell you. Mm-hmm. And it says that in the next verse, verse three, Abraham rose up early in the morning. Yeah. 
sacrifice ready him to go. there okay. as a burnt yeah. offering. If that's what you want me to do, then we're going to go ahead and do it. Well, and here again, so this thing with Hagar and the well, like, and God opened her eyes. So the only thing we're missing is this at the beginning of verse 13 is the phrase, and God opened Abraham's eyes, because it says, Abraham looked up. Okay, so the angel shows up, do not lay a hand on the boy, do not do anything to him. Now I know you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your only son. Abraham looked up. And there in a thicket, he saw a ram caught by the horns, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's one of those things, like, how, mm. how, how blind, was, he, was he so blinded by what he was doing that he hadn't looked around? Was the ram a miracle placement of God providing? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. we don't know those things, but don't it know. sure does make me look in the mirror differently. Yeah. Like, when I, so, you know, I realize it's Bible speak, but at one point in the Bible, God says that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills mm-hmm. like he's got solutions we haven't even thought of yeah how blind are we just because you know we've got our hands on either side of our face and our head down because we're focused on the problem focused on the problem focused on the problem like is are those solutions there like what does god have to do to get us to see mm-hmm. that he's providing mm-hmm. and god removed the blinders from if there was a book of karen like every other text would start with and god hit karen on the back of the head and said look up there are solutions around you that i have provided and you're being dumb yeah, right yeah that's why there's not a book of karen is it'd be really repetitive <laughs> yeah you know the thing that struck me a lot here was look at how far abraham had to go before he saw the alternative i Oof. mean he was right up to the yeah. point of plunging the, the knife. Yeah. He was lifting the knife to kill his son yeah. before God finally said, wait, stop, okay. I, he says, basically says, I see that you would do this, you know. But really, it's now it's confirmed in your mind how far you will go to follow me, right. you know. And, um, but look at how far he had to go. He had to go right up to that very end. And think of the times when we are sure... God's not going to make us go through something. And it keeps coming, and it keeps coming, and it keeps coming. And you know, the trials we go and tribulations, through it. Yeah. We know, have the, to go through it. The test becomes your testimony. You know, and I, was, I heard a sermon about this one, and it's, it's been a while ago, and, and I'm by no means know any kind of animal stuff or a veterinarian or anything like that, but it was saying that, if you look at it, and they went up into the mountain, so there's like maybe possibly like a timber line where nothing's able to grow up there because they brought their own wood. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and they're saying, and I heard this, and I'm, I'm not sure that this is 100% true, but they said that rams usually do not go up that high. So the chances of an offering being there were slim to none, mm. that this is all God, but then yet it was put there. So... You know, all these things, it didn't, it just played totally into, this is God, this is my plan for you, and this is how I'm having it laid out. But these weren't, these weren't ordinary things. It wasn't something like you would see a ram and offerings, you know, laying around there, running around the altar side and stuff like that. It was, they were up there, like, in a desolate place with just him, the altar, the wood they had brought. Are there mountains that high there? Are there mountains above the tree line in this area? I have no idea. You know, now I'm curious, and I'm going to look it up. So here, so we're in Colorado. Here, the tree line is about 12,000 feet-ish, and there are sheep. There are mountain sheep running amok, males, females, babies running amok above the tree line. I've seen them up above, up on Trail Ridge Road. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
So how high is Trower Road though? Well, it's above the tree line. Is the yeah. point? Yeah, yeah. So, so I don't know. I don't even know if there are mountains that tall in the in the in this area. Now I'm gonna look. Okay, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know, but very clearly, a lot of God things happening yes. here. Because yep. whether that goat was goat was there before, uh, or whether it was put there uh, through a miracle at this point, it's it's still clear that God's hand was involved. And I think uh, it all comes Abraham. down to to fourteen twenty two fourteen. The Lord will provide. Mm-hmm. Yes. In, yep. You know the bottom line. That's what he says to Isaac when mm-hmm. Isaac asks. Well, I see we've got everything we need, but where's the lamb? Right. God will provide. Yeah. Because we brought everything else. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. Even the fire. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. I mean, of course, he didn't just tuck a, yeah. a bick in his pocket and go. But I, I understand it. But it, it's it's just a reminder. Like, no, you, you took yeah. a thing with fire in, in it. In six. And he took the fire in his mm-hmm. hand. Yeah. So that is very, that becomes very interesting. The end of chapter 22, I had to, I had to kind of dig a little bit here because the end of chapter 2 gives us this little genealogy of this guy Nahor. Sharp left. Mm-hmm. You're like, wait, wait, why is this guy inter- <laughs> Why is this guy important? <laughs> but when you get into chapter 24, you see that, um, well, you hear, in, I'm sorry, it's in 22, verse 23, this name Rebecca comes up. Yep. And Rebecca becomes Isaac's wife. In chapter 24. Kissing cousins. Yeah. We're one step out from half-siblings now. <laughs> yeah. We're on the right track. <laughs> so I, I, had to, I had to, yeah, I had to backtrack on that, because all of a sudden I was like, wait, Rebecca, I know I've seen that. I just saw that name here. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, mm-hmm. Nahor's, Nahor's uh, niece? Am I right? It, yeah. I don't know. You can read through that and figure out that genealogy. It's that, That's the point. That's why that was there. I'm like, why is that there? It's so weird. Chapter 23, Sarah, I... I I tried and tried and tried here to figure out how old she was here, or or. But you mean besides in verse one where it well, lists it right that's, out? That's not what I meant. What I was trying, I was trying Alpha to figure tool. out how how. I, that's why I was trying to figure out how old she was when Isaac was born because she dies at 127 years old, so she lived to be roughly 40ish years after Isaac was born. Yeah, so um, so she got some time with him. But she dies, and there's an interesting um, back and forth between Abram, Abraham. See, I'm so stuck on calling him Abram now. Between Abraham um, acquiring some property to bury her, and it's just it's, it's that kinda, negotiating. It's process an interesting negotiating process East. for the time. I need yeah. I need a place to bury my wife. Oh, here we're gonna give you the land. You just decide what you want. And then somebody says, "Here, I give it to you." And Abraham says, "No, I will pay you." And then they're like. Well, okay, the land is worth, you know, this much, and Abraham pays him, and he has a place to he bury says, his wife. He's, he says, "Listen to me, my lord. The land is worth four hundred shekels of silver. But what is that between you and me? Mm-hmm. Bury or dead?" And so Abraham paid him. It's yeah. just this funny little it's, negotiating it's, process. It's an it's interesting. Like, it's it's like a very polite way to negotiate something at a bad time. You know the the. Let's I, not talk money right now. Let's just, you know, you're grieving. Let's just get it done. But we're going to talk money. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, well, I, no, I've, it's, I've, it's, it's not all that. The Hittites replied to Abraham. So this is in verses five and six. The Hittites, okay, so Abraham goes to the Hittites and says, I'm a foreigner and a stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site so I can bury my dead. The Hittites replied to Abraham, Sir, listen to us. You are a mighty prince among us. Mm-hmm. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs, mm-hmm. right? So they have designated tombs, and they're telling him to use one. 
None of us will refuse, refuse you his tomb. Okay, but then there's this field, and in the field is this cave, yeah. and so I would like to buy this field. Oh no, take it for free. Yeah, you know, and then and then the negotiation starts yeah. up. Just it, I've never had to organize a funeral, you know, but it just how distasteful it it's got to be to, you know, have if to, if yeah. if it hadn't already hope you know you, you you hope that people have already made some arrangements, but okay, where are we gonna where are we gonna bury Grandpa? What kind of coffin is Grandpa gonna be in? Are we gonna cremate Grandpa? If you had to make all those decisions and you had to go to the mortician and talk all these things. Okay, but what if you're traveling when Grandpa dies? See, that's yeah. the problem. Like, he doesn't yeah. live here. He right. doesn't own land. Right. He is a nomad. But that's why I'm saying this seems this this is a polite way to go about acquiring this. Yeah. Where they're like, yeah, I'll just take. It. And if Abraham were to just say, "Oh, thanks, I will take that for free," would that have been rude? See, and here again, extraordinarily rude. I don't know this era and this mentality. Mean, maybe it's not even the era. Maybe this style of negotiation is still a thing. Yeah. In this area. See, I think I heard somewhere this was just kind of the way they negotiated things. Yeah. You know, I'm going to show you respect. I'm going to offer you this for free. If you take it for free, you're a jerk. Because <laughs> they're doing and they're doing this whole thing in front of witnesses. Yeah. So if Abraham had taken it for if it had been yeah. offered for free and Abraham took it for free, yeah, like he might have been considered a jerk. But there's plenty of witnesses. It becomes binding. It's still binding. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, it was just yeah. it was just kind of so yeah. It's it's a you know it's a whole chapter of this. It's just kind of an interesting <laughs> little thing. Um, we're just over an hour. Do we want to go into twenty four? I don't know. Uh, to me, there's some pretty. There's some editing that needs to go on with this one. We went yeah. on some pretty bad rabbit trails and mm. wandered around in the yeah. fields. Because I mean, I don't know, because we got a lot to talk about here. With I know, I but see, to me, Isaac and Rebecca kind of starts a new story. Like, Should we send just end it? Send, yeah, I think we can just wrap okay. it up. Well, we can end it with this: that um, the mountain is not that tall. It's not twelve thousand feet. It only the whole Judean mountain range only gets to like. 3,500. Mm. So, it, so it can grow trees. Does it grow trees? Did you look at pictures? I looked, and it, it looks kind of desolate up there. Scrubby? Yes. Well, it said it's green it, on the bottom in the valley, and like Beersheba is green, yeah. but it gets just to like rocky. So it might be uh, capable of it, but it doesn't because there's no yeah. water up there. But, yeah. but it did say a thicket. It said the yep. ram was caught in a thicket. Mm -hmm. yep. Which to <laughs> me looks like kind of dry, thorny kind of... Scrubby stuff. Yes. Okay. Um, That's interesting. But yeah, it doesn't get that high. And, and um, is it Mount Moriah? They mm. said is only like 22, 23 yeah. um, feet I, above sea level. So Yeah, that makes sense. So it's, it's high for that <laughs> area. So their tree line is pretty different than ours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Interesting. I don't think it's a tree line based on no. oxygen like it is yeah, here. No, I think no. it's a tree line based on practicalities like foliage. water. Like the foliage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, I think we are going to end it here this week. We were going to go through 24, and you know what? I'm just going to start saying we're going to try to get through things, but if we don't, we're not going to we're not going to stress it because our goal is not to get through the Bible. Our goal right. here is to discuss discover, it. discuss, and what's here. Uh, so, um, And hopefully we won't go on any kind of tangents. Oh, tangents are fun. I like, like we tangents. did today. But um, So next week we're going to start with chapter 24, and try to do four to twenty eight or twenty seven. Let's, let's see how. Here. Let's see what's going on in twenty seven. My initial I notes was all the way through thirty, but that's kind of a lot um, because Esau's we're going blessing. to talk yeah, about. We got Esau's blessing and everything. We're going to mm -hmm. talk about bride. We're going to talk about. Yep that that throws us right into the conflict. Twenty seven is a conflict with Jacob and Esau. 
if we about get birthright. If we get through 27, then it, we would get up to um, Jacob's dream at Bethel. That wouldn't be bad. Okay, let's do that. So, so 28? 24 through 27. Okay. Ending at yeah. 67. Yep. Okay. So, we, so we're going to stop it here for this week. And we'll next week we will to get to try to get through uh, chapter 27. Seven, so we'll yeah. try to do 24 through 27. Uh, in the meantime, if you would like to comment or have questions, you can reach us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org. And you can look for us on Facebook. Just look for Adventure Through the Bible. Hope you continue to read and study, and we will talk to you again next week. Be blessed. Be blessed.